This is a Lodestar podcast created by MK and Associates and your host, Mike King. Our sponsor is Project 44, operator of the world's most trusted end-to-end visibility platform. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this latest episode of the Lodestar Podcast Big Interview. My guest today has held numerous positions on UK and EU logistics advisory bodies. Many of you might know him from his role as Deputy Chief Executive of the Freight Transport Association, which now, of course, is called Logistics UK. In his current role as Secretary General of the Global Shippers Forum, he has been speaking up for cargo owners engaged in international trade. So, as you can imagine, in the time of COVID and soaring freight rates, which of course had a terrible impact on many SME shippers, he has been rather busy fighting the good fight, some might say, although perhaps not his adversaries, who are quite often those pesky carriers. So, with no further ado, and a very warm welcome to the Lodestar podcast, it's James Hookham. Hello, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for inviting me on. Great to be here. You're always very welcome. James, um, a bit later, I want to talk about the, uh, whenever we talk, there's always an elephant in the room. I alluded to it at the start there, line of behavior, services and rates. But if we may first, let's set the scene. How would you describe the current logistics environment for global shippers? It's a rather disrupted world right now, both in terms of transport challenges, macroeconomics, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's been full on, isn't it, for certainly the 12 months since we last spoke, Mike, and 30 months since all this really got going with COVID. But obviously, it's taken on a slightly more sinister dimension, I think. Obviously, the developments in the Ukraine are worrying from the point of view of where that might be going. Um, I haven't yet seen any direct impact on behaviour or buying patterns by shippers, but they must be worried about any escalation there. What they are responding to at the moment is this non-event called peak season, because I think Lodestar's been reporting and certainly I've been hearing. There's not quite the same amount of stuff shifting around the globe this year as there was last. And we're seeing that reflected, obviously, in the main performance indicators, the, the spot rates, the blank sailings and other capacity measures. So, yes, again, it's going to be a different few months to last year. And we'll be navigating day by day, I think, as much as we have been for the past 12 months. It's a good point you make there. Peak season really hasn't happened. We did a deep dive podcast a few weeks ago entitled, We Need to Talk About Peak Season. And that's exactly what we looked at. Where did it go? Did it happen early or has it just been petered out into a Q4 low season on the shipping front? But let's stick to Europe, if we may. You mentioned there war in Europe. We've got nuclear threats. We've got soaring fuel and energy costs, uh, which are feeding into inflation and this poor economic outlook. How does this change the the risk profile for your members' businesses and their supply chains? I mean, how do they plan around this when they look forward? Are they looking at more resilient supply chains? Well, I think right at the moment, certainly in Europe, most shippers are just trying to get their head around what the impact of what looks like to be a serious downturn in, in economic activity. Hopefully it won't trip into recession, but it's just going to be a, a a real reduction in consumer behaviour and demand for the goods that they are charged with moving. 
and quite what that means in terms of the demand for shipping. I think we'll just have to let play out. I mean, what's been happening, of course, is we did see that sort of switch from just-in-time movements to just-in-case, which was widely talked about 18 months ago. And I think a lot of the congestion that was being experienced was um, effectively inventory being brought into country uh, to have it at hand so that it can be uh, deployed more reliably. And I suspect there is a lot of inventory which was already available and is now some question about just how much of that will sell because obviously consumers are being very careful about what they choose to spend their money on. And we saw reports from UK retailers yesterday about just how selective consumers are getting. And I suspect that's going to play out throughout the autumn season. So exactly what that means for shipping, again, it's one of those situations we've not been in for a very long while, a declining market with overcapacity and relatively high rates. So we'll have to see how it behaves and what the shipping lines and the consortia, how they react to these relatively novel circumstances. And again, we'll be finding out as we go almost because this isn't this isn't common experience for a lot of shippers. Yeah, you're dead right. Uh, I mean, those macroeconomic headwinds, it's very difficult to see where things go after this. Europe certainly seems to be badly affected. The US consumers' spending is not quite so dimmed over there as some people were forecasting earlier in the year. Let's turn to the other end of those supply chains, though. Let's look at Asia, where a lot of these products come from. China in particular, we've still got zero COVID policy. We've also got tensions over Taiwan. And the type of government is almost becoming an issue when we look at this geopolitical landscape. I mean, maybe not right now, but maybe a slightly longer term. Does this change the equation for manufacturers in terms of where they might source products? Is China getting less attractive, for example? I think it's becoming probably more risky, but I think, as I said before, it takes a lot for businesses to seriously disrupt and change their buying patterns and, the, and their sourcing uh, agreements. There are inevitably other providers might be available, but if you've got a good arrangement, a good relationship with a manufacturer in China, and you're happy with their products, you're getting the kind of uh, service that you expect, even though they're having to cope with their zero COVID policy, then you're not just going to walk away from that on a, on a whim because, you know, the newspapers are, or even the Lodestars are talking about this in, in a risky way. It's either going to need a, a clear government edict, maybe not quite sanctions, but something like a reinforced tariff policy or something like that, which changes the cost equation or a significant step change in the political situation for you to really want to start, if you like, changing all of the, the arrangements you probably had in place for a long time. That's not to say shippers are blind to what's going on. And of course, should anything happen, you know, that loss of access for merchant shipping to the South China Sea would, of course, be disastrous. It would quickly bring a lot of supply chains to a halt. But then it's not exactly in China's interest either to simply shut those shipping lanes down. And I suppose my, I get myself to sleep by thinking at night that, well, loss of all that export business wouldn't be good for China. So why would they do it? They've clearly got to weigh that up. And I think we've seen their sort of, how can we put it, lack of enthusiasm, perhaps for what's going on in Ukraine as an indication that they're seeing threats to their economy from the knock-on impacts of higher energy prices and dislocated supply chains that the Russian invasion has caused. So it's all interwoven. And I think at the end of it, shippers are relatively straightforward people. They know what they've got to do. And until 
there is a significant step change in the dynamics. I think most of them will carry on trading in much the way they have been for the past decade or so. Okay, let's swing back to Europe. That's a question I'm always reluctant to ask, but as we're both based in the UK, it's Brexit. We've got a new government in the UK under Prime Minister Liz Truss. How has or how is Brexit affecting shippers based in the UK or those trading with the UK right now? And do you see an upside with this new government? Well, look, as as the Global Shippers Forum, I I need to take a global perspective, but obviously I've had some previous experience in looking at this in some detail. Mike, this is an unusual situation in many respects, but it's probably the first time I've certainly experienced a government putting back in the trade barriers. Normally, all the efforts and all the negotiations with trade deals and trade simplification and facilitation is about taking these away. UK importers and exporters to Europe have, have been having to get their head around requirements that have not been there for a generation. So it's so it has been quite a, an object lesson in how to run a border. I think there's two things I would say. First of all, I think there will be a need for the UK and the EU to reforge their relationship at some point. Both economies are too important to each other simply to have this relatively sort of standoff, relatively cold relationship. The, the, the agreement that is in place is okay, but it could be a lot better. Clearly, the Northern Ireland situation needs to be sorted out, and that's really for the politicians. But it's just simply in terms of the requirements that need to be carried out, it's in neither uh, party's interest to, uh, to have those, at least operating the way they do at the moment. So what I think will be really interesting globally will be the way that in time, it may take some years, but the EU and the UK, if you like, fix their border for the 2030s. And I think that's going to be really interesting, the way that digitalization and other automated systems and, and some pretty smart AI type systems could be used for this as well, are, are used to try to reinstate as much of the free flow at this vital border as possible. As I say, it needs to get beyond the current standoff. It might change, take a change of government in the UK for that to happen. But let's give the current prime minister the benefit of the doubt and see if she can bring some fresh thinking to this and see if we can move on just simply in the interest of, of the easier movement of goods. Do you think it's one hit after another? I mean, we've had the, the currencies being up and down. We've got port strikes in the UK as well as in Northern Europe as well this summer. But it's just one thing after another, isn't it? Is, it, is the uncertainty uh, casting a dark cloud? Oh, heck yes. It's it's certainly keeping um, shipper members on their toes. I think to a certain extent, they're still basking in the relatively high level of attention that they've been receiving in their businesses just recently because, of course, supply chain and, and availability of inventory have, has been top of the agenda. So all of a sudden, they've got a lot of new best friends in the boardroom and in the uh, in the rest of the business. So these are certainly risks that need to be that need to be factored in. But we're trying to we're trying to predict the future here. So the only policy you can really adopt is to keep your options open, stay tuned to what is going on, but also, Mike, and this is an important point about where some shippers have got to. You do need to stay tuned to the broader macroeconomic picture that we've been talking about. This isn't just a shipping industry thing. And let me give you an example. I mean, at the beginning of the year, just as we came out of last year's peak season, everyone in the shipping industry was predicting that the then record high rates were gonna carry on for at least another 12 months. Some had it down for even two years going forward. And so 
you know, don't don't sit there, shippers, thinking that this is getting better. Go do your contracts over Chinese New Year, and because this is as good as it's going to get. But even at that time, the writing was on the wall. The Bank of England had already put up its interest rates. The Federal Reserve, which really does call the shots in the world economy, was saying, look, we are serious. We are going to put up interest rates and look what they've done. And even then we were talking about high energy bills. So a lot of the factors that have caused the reduction in consumer demand, which has then led to the downturn in the current shipping market, were there to be seen and read and interpreted. And that's the painful lesson, because I think a lot of shippers did lock in at relatively high rates back in the first quarter of the year. And they're now finding that the spot rate they can get today is a lot less than what they're actually committed to by virtue of what they signed up to in in January, February. So I guess the answer is stay tuned and take into account some of these wider economic activities because they, they do influence shipping. It is not a closed box by any means. This is a Lodestar podcast created by MK and Associates and your host, Mike King. Our sponsor is Project 44, operator of the world's most trusted end-to-end visibility platform, which tracks more than 1 billion shipments annually for over 1,000 of the leading brands, including top companies in manufacturing, automotive, retail, life sciences, food and beverage, and oil, chemical and gas. Using Project 44, shippers and carriers across the globe drive greater predictability, resiliency, and sustainability. James, as you as you brought it up, that's one of these elephants in the room, isn't it, that we discussed at the start of this interview a year ago when we spoke. Shipping rates were soaring and obviously representing your shipper members, uh, you weren't massively happy, if I may put it like that. Now, as you just referenced, we've seen rates falling, we've had inflation's been rising, interest rates are on the up. A lot of the surcharges have been dropped by shipping lines. Now, not all of them, of course, because there's hundreds, but uh, <laughs> we've had marginal improvements in liner services. Okay, that reliability bar is low. But a year on, would I be able to describe you or your members as happy or happier with their liner performance? Or is that the wrong word? No, obviously it has improved in that respect, probably for the wrong reasons, as we've just been discussing. But Yes, looking purely at the at the market, spot rates have been falling. We, we saw that tip over in the second quarter. We've been tracking the turn in the market through our, um, our work with MDS Transmodal and our quarterly reviews. And so we are seeing less demand and therefore a further readjustment of capacity as savings are blanked and schedules are, are adjusted. As I said before, I think this is a very interesting time because we haven't been there for many, many years in this situation. So observing the behaviour of, of shipping lines here will be really important. And you're right, Mike. Yes, it has been a, a difficult couple of years. I think the tensions that a lot of shippers felt between themselves and their shipping lines were real. A lot of businesses lost money. A lot of businesses lost customers. And some people lost their businesses as a result of the shipping industry's inability to deliver. So, yeah, there is a continuing cloud over the market in that respect. So. I think that that would take a little a little while to heal. And that's the disappointment because there are some really, really important issues that we need to confront collectively in the industry. The two biggest of which are progress to make in digitalization, just because of the upsides for everybody, if we can get that to work in the right way. And more sinisterly, perhaps, the, the, the program of decarbonizing 
the industry, which obviously is for the shipping lines to lead on, but they can't do it on their own. They will need the support and the commitment of their customers to help them through that transition. So they could do with an improvement in the overall climate, business climate, in order to set themselves up for uh, for success on those two fronts. So, yeah, it'd be important to see that they behave in the right way over the, over the next few weeks and that we do try to uh, sort of mend some fences to address some of these other issues. We did hear from Eric Johnson, the last Lodestar podcast, that there has been a building momentum right through the COVID sort of era in uptake on pricing and visibility uh, platforms right across the supply chain industry, which I, I think we'd agree mm. is, is a positive. Yep. We're going to come back to exactly what shippers can do to help lines and other players in this industry in terms of improving that decarbonisation performance of our industry overall. But let's come back to what we were discussing at the start of the last question. I think it would be fair to say that most shippers organisations and most shippers that any one of the Lodestars interviewed over the last two years, probably a consensus view would be that there's been certainly an element of market manipulation from the carriers, which is due to consolidation, the alliance system, the ability to withdraw capacity when they're needed. Those rates stayed high for a long time and people weren't happy about it. Now, does this stark decline in rates that we've seen this summer, does that indicate that maybe the lines can't manipulate the market and that was over overstressed previously, that the, maybe the prices aren't artificially high and maybe that market is working, there is a supply and demand element and it is competitive? Well, you'd certainly expect, given the scale of uh, reduction in demand, that uh, the market would have responded. I guess the question is, has it responded in proportion at the right speed and at the right time? But look, this is, as you say, one of, one of the elephants in the room, isn't it? Because this is the week in which we've all responded to the European Commission's consultation on whether it decides to renew the consortia block exemption regulation, which gives the power, the right to the shipping lines to operate their consortia in that consultative way through those cooperative activities. And certainly the, the sort of the, the cases will be made both ways, but GSF's case, and to be fair, many of the other representatives of shippers and users is that, well, it's been good for the shipping lines, but the benefits of that cooperation and that legal ability to talk to each other about certain factors hasn't obviously manifested itself as benefits to the customers on the three key counts. And the basis that the commission renewed the block exemption back in 2020 was that shipping rates were stable, that capacity was available and that reliability was good. Well, that might have been the case in 2020. It's certainly not the case 30 months later. And that's the case that the Commission has got to evaluate and decide whether or not, given what has happened, if the shipping lines continue to enjoy those sorts of exemptions. Having said that, there is no doubt, and shippers universally accept this, that they get, or in theory, get some benefits from consortia operation. No one wants half-empty ships running around the world. And we certainly don't, or certainly rely on and need the regularity and frequency of port calls and, and sailings that consortium operation provide. So we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. What, what we are asking for is a, is a lot more transparency. Perhaps some of the permissions or the exemptions that are given could be a bit, little bit better targeted because they seem to us to be very open and unbounded and you could probably do pretty much what you want within the term and still, still stay legal. And we would like them to be a little bit more easier for the Commission to enforce if things start to get a little bit sticky again, because I'm sure this won't be the last big shipping crisis that we have to live through 
in the next few years. James, could you just explain what the timeline for this European Commission review of liner consortia block exemption under EU competition law, which allows, maybe you can explain this better, it allows the lines to do what? Maybe start from there. So the consortia block exemption regulation is, as it says on the tin, it exempts shipping lines that are working in consortia from some of the requirements of general competition law in Europe from having to make sure that they are staying within the bounds of competition rules. So what the, what the Commission has said is, look, there are certain benefits that can come from you operating your vessel sharing agreements. But in order to do that, you need to talk to each other and exchange information with each other, which normally would be considered illegal because it's commercially sensitive. So what we're going to do is give you an exemption that lets you do that. But in return, you've got to make sure that the benefits you get from that are fairly shared with the rest of the market. And our case is, well, that may or may not have happened in the past, but it certainly hasn't happened since you renewed the block exemption last time in, in 2020. And we're pleased that the Commission has started to ask these sort of questions now in 2022, because the current block exemption doesn't actually expire until April 24. So what we're hoping is the Commission is leaving itself enough time to perhaps look at some alternative ways of providing these kinds of exemptions or permissions to the uh, to the shipping lines. But as I say, still giving some kind of transparency and reassurance to the customers that the Commission is on the case, it's keeping an eye on what the shipping lines are doing, and that the permissions that they're giving are perhaps more tightly controlled and not just uh, generalised in the way that they are at the moment. Are shippers not fearful that during this review period, some of the problems that prompted this new review over 2020 since the last ruling or the last extension and now have uh, have gone reliability might return pricing might fall on service service standards in general might be a lot better by 2024 the reason why you've always argued against this exception for me you competition law might be back to where we might be back to where we were in 2020 if you see what i mean well, we could, but we can't rewrite history. And given for all the reasons that we were talking at the top of the interview, Mike, it's not unreasonable to expect another crisis is, is going to come along. And the one thing that COVID has very clearly demonstrated is that the, cons the consortia arrangements are not particularly resilient. And it's certainly from a customer's point of view that the service just fell apart. That as soon as now, all right, COVID was quite a big hit, but given the scale of some of the other challenges that could confront us. It wasn't up to the job. And the challenge for the Commission, given the importance of container shipping in, in the world economy, and this is a challenge for all competition authorities, is to find a way of allowing these necessary exemptions to work, but without, if you like, holding the market a ransom, just because it falls over the first time that um, we encounter turbulent waters, if you like. Now, I don't want to trivialise anything that happened during COVID, because it was horrible, and we certainly wouldn't want to go through it again. But to your question, no, I'm not worried about the uh, hopefully return of more stable conditions, at least for a while, because it's there on the record. And the work that we've been doing with MDS Transmodal to keep a record of that, I think will help the Commission to understand what we're talking about and why we're concerned and why we believe we can do better here. That relationship between shippers and lines, I mean, I, I don't think I'd be pushing it too far to say it can be quite poisonous. Certainly through COVID, shippers, and before COVID, in fact, shippers have been pretty critical of carriers for 
breaking contracts as rates have risen or rolling cargo or adding in new costs. Things have changed slightly now. Uh, I mean, I, we're hearing at the lodestar.com that shipping lines are actually, you know, begging for cargo where they can find it from them. They've picked up phones they haven't touched for two years. They're covered in dust. <laughs> yes. So, uh, but, is, but isn't that the point, Mike? Isn't that the point? <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to invest in customer service now. Uh, <laughs> many, uh, many shippers have signed long-term contracts at rates far higher than the current spot market on those east-west trade lanes. And we're seeing that some don't want to stick to them. Uh, shouldn't they be proving that they're better than the carriers? I think you've answered the question, really, in the sense that what we want is the conversations, the dialogues to happen, isn't it? We want shipping to be less a commodity business and more a relationship business. And that's what shippers as procurers of other goods and services in their business that's what they're used to they're used to a much more interactive and a much more inclusive relationship with their suppliers of services so yes that implies moving into a more formal relationship a contractual relationship but again that needs to be perhaps just a little less transactional and a little bit more embracing of the uh, customer's needs i mean i have been taken by some of the language that's been used by shipping line chief executives in describing their move into other supply chain services as talking about what they want to try to offer to the market. And that might be the route into this more cuddly relationship, if you like. But um, it's, as I said earlier, it certainly needs to improve because shipping lines are going to need their customers on side as they tackle some of these bigger issues going forward, such as digitalization and decarbonization. So this would be time and money well invested by the shipping industry if they use this decline in the market, perhaps to try to build a few fences, mend a few fences and um, and try and move a little bit closer to, to, to their customers. I think everybody would like a more harmonious relationship. It would be a lot easier all around. And, and it would certainly help both elements tackle some of the big issues that you've referenced there as a little bit, but we'll come to now. And that's the environmental challenges that both shippers and lines face, as well as the, the new regulations that are coming in and the new fuels. Just firstly, let's look at one of those, which I know you've been working on recently. And I think bugs in boxes, is that the right, is that how I should put it? <laughs> shippers can do more to stop insects invading cargo. Is that it? What's the problem? What's the solution? So the problem is that there is good reason to believe that intermodal containers moving in container ships are partly responsible for transferring invasive pests, bugs, for want of a better word, from one country to another, from one country where they are native and uh, resident and you know not particularly a threat because there are other bigger bugs there that eat them, moving them into countries where there are no bigger bugs and these pests run riot and devastate agricultural crops, natural resources and possibly whole economies. And anyone that's tried to get into Australia through Australia Customs anytime recently will be aware of just how strict some of those controls can be. And in fact, they're so strict, they even make television series out of them, don't they? So this is really a, a big, big issue, which has suddenly gone global through the work of an organisation called the International Plant Protection Convention. And GSF and shipping industry have been represented on a sea containers task force which was looking at this problem for the past few years. And that reported at the end of 2021, it said two things. First of all, we really ought to do something about this because there is a risk that we need to tackle. And the second thing it said 
is but it's really difficult because the sea container supply chain is really complicated and we understand how sensitive it is if we start making the wrong kind of measures that simply cause disruption further disruption rather than actually help so what they did was to call a, a conference which took place in london a couple of weeks ago to look at all of this and that conference has made some some progress and there'll be further meetings now over the next couple of years at which some possible proposals for container cleanliness which is ultimately what we're talking about the cleanliness of containers are starting to be discussed possibly formalized and written down in, in a set of standards that the industry will have to implement from our point of view we as, as representing shippers we recognize that one of the key risk points in the whole chain is when the container is actually being loaded so when the doors are open quite often the container is on the ground and if that is simply bare soil or even vegetation then clearly there's opportunities for bugs to invade into the container and get picked up and carried along hitchhike a ride if you like on on the container so from gsf's point of view i see us as working with the industry and other partners to try to raise the profile of this, let people understand the risks that are being encountered, because because the losses would be devastating. You could easily wipe out whole crops, whole harvests if these bugs got free in the wrong countries. You know, and, we, and we've seen what's happened just the disruption in the Ukraine, wheat supplies on food prices just recently. So this is a real problem. It can have real impact. But I think a big, big improvement could come about from some pretty simple steps, some pretty straightforward approaches, just recognising that there, this risk exists and taking some pretty simple steps just to keep containers in a clean state, stop them being exposed to opportunities that where pests might invade. I mean, one of the classics is either don't load them at night under bright arc lights because they attract all sorts of moths and other flying insects, which as I say, might not be a problem in this country, but could be a big problem in others. So there's plenty that can be done. And it would be good to think that we can avoid excessive legislation and excessive new measures by simply paying a bit of attention to this subject and upping our game a bit. So it's a, it's a real issue. It's something GSF has invested a fair bit of time on. But I think there is a, a role for us to play. And hopefully we can make a, a positive contribution without massive new legislation coming down the line. Yeah, I can uh, double up on that. In Europe, it's not something we've always been very aware of. Maybe I can go back to like foot and mouth outbreak more than 20 years ago, but I was actually in Indonesia this summer. Australia, as you mentioned, was on red alert because there was a foot and mouth outbreak in Indonesia. And there was a lot of debate about how you should go about making sure you didn't transmit on your trainers or on your clothing. Do anything you can. And I was like, well, that seems a bit overblown, but... There's a lot of people's livelihoods at risk if you do transmit those invasive species. I also remember going over to the, the Great Lakes and they've had a big problem with Laker ships, international mm. cargo ships bringing in invasive species as well from around the world. So, uh, yeah, it can really change an environment very quickly. Just staying on the environment, hate to bump it all in in one subject, but it does follow on. Sustainable supply chains. How do you communicate these issues to your members in terms of what they should be doing or what they should be asking their supply chain solution providers to do and provide them with so that they can contribute to this move towards greener supply chains. So the way that I encounter this most frequently 
is requests coming up the line from our member associations that obviously a lot of their shipper members in different countries are looking at and many are signing up to the net zero commitments, net zero carbon emissions by 2050. And therefore businesses are looking around, looking at all their activities and they alight on supply chain and say, okay, so what are the options here? Because of course we don't actually operate any aircraft or any ships, you know, okay, it's, they're moving our goods, but how do we control what's going on in these, what they call the scope three emissions? Other people's emissions, but of course, because they're doing stuff for you, in this case, moving goods. So the answer is that you need to start asking questions and start to prepare your own um, estimates of what you think your total emissions are. M most carriers, by whatever mode, are tuned into this. They've all got their own models and their own uh, means of evaluating their own carbon footprint. And you can normally quite easily get an estimate for the contribution, if you like, that moving goods uh, on a particular route will generate this amount of CO2 and therefore you can factor it in, in, into your own footprint. You can't manage what you can't measure. So actually getting a fix on what your total emissions are is the first key step. And there's plenty of, of methodologies out there by which you can do that. But that's all fine. It's also quite pointless unless you're actually going to reduce it. And I, and I do get a little frustrated sometimes the amount of time and effort put into measuring the problem when actually the answer is always going to be the same. It's too much. It's too big. We need to reduce it. So how do you reduce it? And that's where the stakes are building up because international shipping and international aviation are some of the toughest industrial activities to decarbonize just because of how they operate and what they're operating. And there are no easy solutions there. The aviation is working hard on its sustainable fuels, which effectively is a, is a way of offsetting the carbon by using renewable ingredients. But shipping is fast approaching a, a bit of a crunch point, really. It's done some of the easy stuff. We'll, we'll start to see the impact of some of the new requirements for new ships coming on stream in 2024. But the real debate is about how you tackle existing emissions. And this November at the International Maritime Organization, there is going to be, and there needs to be, a really big discussion about the role of levies and carbon taxes and what they call market-based mechanisms, effectively financial incentives to try to tip the market into uh, investing in the cleaner ships and the cleaner fuels. And that obviously is going to uh, have a, a financial and a commercial impact and we just need to make sure that the, uh, the the impacts of that are, again, spread evenly across the market. They're not simply passed down to customers, to shippers in surcharges and higher bunker adjustment factors, which is unfair that we need to make sure doesn't happen. No more baths. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I know. I agree. I mean, until until it, 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 it comes through clearly on the bottom line, either via a carbon tax or some other pricing mechanism, it's going to be very difficult for anyone to be a first mover right across all these different modes and industries. Obviously, you know, there's an element of greenwashing. I mean, I, we're on the receiving end of lowstar.com of an awful lot of press releases. Very hard to verify how much progress is being made in some of them, but certainly a lot of energy is being expent on uh, on the PR element. So hopefully, yes. hopefully there's a lot to some of them, at least. There's definitely on some others. Talking that, obviously, this is like a, a systemic challenge for anyone in supply mm. chain. That's It's not going away next year. It's not going away at COP27. It's not going away at the IMO. It's, it's with us long term. 
But let's uh, let's turn to 2023. What's the big challenges for for shippers and and James Holcomb and for GSF? What's the big challenge in 2023? <laughs> wow, getting there. I think at the moment, Mike. <laughs> um, 2023 will be the way the market pans out. Whether it continues to return to something like we recognise pre-COVID, or whether there is the next big trauma, the next big disruption factor coming through, whether it's any of the geopolitical risks you were talking about earlier on, or whether there is a serious global recession because of the uh, the way the financial markets are going at the moment and consumer demand is going, maybe the cost of fuel becomes unsustainable again, even though it's, it, again, that's been easing off a little bit just recently as well. There's too many moving targets really to make a, a firm prediction. So I'm going to offer three things, if you like, that GSF will certainly be doing for its members in, in 2023. One is, as I said before, keeping a, a bit of a bigger picture in mind. Shipping and aviation operate within the world economy. And so many of the decisions that shipping lines and airlines have to make are based on how those bigger economic factors play out. So keeping an eye on what the US economy is doing, keeping an eye on what China is doing, obviously keeping an eye on Europe is going to be really important to understand where that demand, where that uh, is going to be coming from and going to, and what the prospects are for meeting it from uh, production in the producing markets. So keep the the big picture in mind. Second one is we need to start to put back in some of the uh, communications and the dialogue that perhaps was lost and eroded during COVID. It's certainly good to be getting back out into um, face-to-face meetings and face-to-face events again. And very often they're the sort of places where a lot of the goodwill and the understanding can be restored. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the return of some of the big events that haven't been held in quite the same way for the past two or three years. So get out there, I think you would say the, the, the second one. And thirdly, just keep communicating. There is so much going on. We have an obligation to our members to help them understand and interpret what they're seeing and reading about. And so, you know, I think like yourself, Mike, in the media world, this is just trying to help interpret and decipher often very, very conflicting messages and just try and put them into the language that shippers and the logistics industry can understand and act on. That's the key thing. They are not just hearing chat, they are actually getting information that can inform their decisions and uh, let them do business better than they otherwise would. I'm sure you'll meet those many challenges head on. James Hookham, thank you so much for joining me today on the Lodestar podcast. It's been a pleasure. Likewise, Mike. Always good to be here. Thanks very much. I'd like to thank my editing team, the amazing Karen Ball and Tom Matthews. Big thanks also to our sponsors, Project 44. And gratitude to you all, of course, for taking the time to listen. We'll be back soon. We'll be back soon.